Now I'm gonna flip it over to Sam Danzler, CEO, Garage Composites. Sam, over to you. We're going to do our best to get new thinking out there. There's going to be discussions centered around growth and new thinking. That's where those great ideas come from, exploring them together. Nuggets that you can go back and put into your dealership that'll help you make more money. This is GarageCast. Gonzalez, actual CEO of Garage Composites, not happy with that intro, I'm sure. Front row. Uh, how you guys doing? That was horrible. That was gross, actually. I'm gonna remind, I'm gonna ask that question again, but I'm gonna remind you that we are in a convention center full of the coolest toys known to mankind with the coolest vendors and the coolest people that live the power sports lifestyle. We're also in Las Vegas, and there's an open bar right there. I can see it. So again, how you guys doing? Thank you. Good Lord. I even wore my fancy shirt for you guys. Actually, I wore it for Manny. I wore it for you particularly. Garage Composites, if you don't know the name, you might know Garage Cast. It is our podcast. We will be podcasting live from this stage. We're in our fifth year with that podcast, which is pretty cool. Never thought that would happen. We're going to be fielding a bunch of questions from you guys. We're also going to be podcasting from live from the show floor. So as we talk about disruptive thinking, we're going to get into some neat content up here on the stage. But if you guys have something cool or neat or something you think the industry is not talking about, come find us. We're opposite of CF Moto for both days. We'd love to hear from you. We may even put you on the air for five or 10 minutes. So I'm sincere about that. Please come find us later. The content we're going to be talking about today, first of all, thank you to AIM Expo and MIC for producing this. I personally just get giddy every time I'm at this show. I was on the plane last night delayed, as I'm sure a lot of you were, just looking through the floor plan. And I'm just going through everybody who's here. And I just get so excited. Like, we have the privilege of working in an industry to sell things that things that no one needs that totally better their life. Is that a fair statement? We literally get to change people's lives. And that just excites me so much. And then to be able to look at how do we do that better and provide a better experience so we can ultimately change more people's lives that's just really cool. And that's what we're going to be talking about up here today. Now, the statistical annual, that, that report, that survey that uh, Cinnamon had up on the screen, that usually comes out 11 months after the data comes in. So if you know, if you remember, your 2022 data hit in December of this year, 11 months later, right? Which is cool to see the trends over the year, but maybe not as actionable as we'd like it. This year, they put it together in 30 days, the information that you're going to walk out of here with from this convention is 30 days old. So props to MIC for putting that thing together this fast. That's what we're going to be talking about up here on stage. We're going to be looking at customer trends over the last year to figure out if we can figure, figure out like what, what are the puzzle pieces as we move forward. I believe there are a lot of distractions in the industry right now. I think between the war and uh, the economy and the inflation and the election and like uh, interest rates, there's all people are, what's going on? What's go well, let's look at what actually happened and see if we can predict forward what 2024 might look like. So I had the privilege of hosting this panel review. I've got three big wigs from the MIC. We've got the chair, the vice chair, the secretary, treasurer. These guys all have day jobs with Yamaha and KTM and, 
and NPA. So let's welcome them to the stage right now. Derek Brooks, John Hines, Jim Woodruff. Come on, guys. So we took a couple pages. This date is as fresh as Friday, just so you know. We were on a conference call Friday, picking this book apart and taking about seven pages out of it. And we said, you know what? Forget PowerPoint, forget slideshows and all that. Let's just take seven pages, build a PDF around it. I'm going to do my best to show it on the iPad on the screen so you guys can see as we're talking along. And we're just going to have a chat about where the industry is going. So guys, ready to go? Ready. Ready to go. All right. Derek, I'm going to come to you first on that first page as I open this up. There's a giant overview. Uh, what jumped off at the page of you with this overview? Well, first of all, good morning, everyone. Thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure. Really exciting. Just to jump right into it. So this page that we're going to start with first. So this is a, a pretty big overview. So you can see at the top, it says motorcycle population. So of course, this is the total population, not just new units. And the other thing I want to say before we get into this is what you're seeing is a bit of a snapshot in time, right? Like this is just one, one study. What you really should be thinking about as we move on and, and, and we're, when we're done here today, really start thinking about how you can use this and start to predict and see trends, right? So again, this is one snapshot in time. What's really valuable is you've got these same annuals available from all the previous years. So I guess just to jump right into it on the first page here, just you know, some, some obvious big numbers here, 11.6 million units uh, in use and 8.9 million users. So roughly 1.3 units per person. Uh, so that's, that's interesting information. Again, go back and look at the old historical studies from the years past and see how that's changed over time. That's where you can begin to see trends. And, and speaking of that, we'll get into some more of the specifics here in just a moment, but uh, a little bit to the right there, on highway, off highway, and dual. You can see the percent of each one of those that makes up the market. And, and again, we'll get to that in just a moment, but there's definitely, definitely been some movement there. Jim, anything to add to that one? I second what Derek said. This is a, one example of the tremendous amount of data that's available to MIC members. The MIC spends a tremendous amount on research every year and makes it available to its members and many times to the industry at large so we can all be better at what we do. You know, a couple of things jumped out to me, Sam. One of the things that I think about is the future of the industry, right? What, what does this data do for us? How can we, you know, take something away from it? And the 3.5 motorcycles in use for every 100 people, let's yeah. call that 3.5%, okay? What if we could make it 4.5%, right? That's 1%. That doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Well, guess what? To go from 3.5 to 4.5 is a 30% increase in the size of the industry. We would all love that, wouldn't we? And the interesting thing is that that's the population, right? To get there, we'd have to sell another 330,000 motorcycles every year for 10 years to be able to get to that number. That'd be a 50% increase in overall new vehicle sales. Think about the impact on financing and use and F&I and everything else that we do. So it doesn't take a lot in our industry to make a huge difference when we're talking about the entire uh, you know, world at large. So I think it's a tremendous opportunity out there for us. And uh, I'm excited about uh, everybody here today. I'm still trying to carry the one in my head. That's why you're the treasurer right there. All right. Well, you know what? I'm going to bring that up a little later. John Hines, what do you see here with this registration from 45 well, to 22? First, I'd just love to welcome everybody. Thank you for coming. Uh, it's an amazing opportunity for the industry to come together, 
share ideas, share data, share information. And the MIC has done a fantastic job of, of capturing some of the, the big points from our industry. And it's available to all of you. And we love this, this statistical annual. Some of the things that John Sinski was talking about, make sure you stop by and see him. Motorcycles in use and riders in operation. And the, the data that we have is what's critical to help this industry move forward and grow. To Jim's point, like, how can we make it better? Where are the trends? Where are things going? And when I look at this page here, the total U.S. motorcycle registrations, 1945. Like, I love that it goes back to 1945, just post-World War II, to 2022. So we don't have the 23 data yet. But what you can see here, the last two bar columns on the far right, Sam. Yep. 2020 and 2022. And you see a massive growth there. And part of that is COVID. And what I love about this chart is it shows that the riders are are still here. So there was a big question about a big question. Are they still going to be riding? Are they still they still own their motorcycles? And yes, the answer is yes. Yep. The industry grew uh, in 2020, 21, 22, and the riders are still here. So the, the vehicles are still in operation. And I think that was a big question. What's going to happen with all those new entrants? Sure. And as we go through the, the rest of the pages, we'll continue to see that growth trend. Anything else to add on that slide, guys? Yeah, actually, uh, one thing that I wanted to point out is that these are registrations. The first slide is the total population. As uh, John Sinski said earlier, there's a number of vehicles out there, of course, that are off-road that aren't registered. But that's motorcycles. What if we add side-by-sides and ATVs, et cetera? Mm-hmm. The total population of the power sports industry is more than double that size. It's over 20 million vehicles in use in the U.S. So, you know, we, we all serve a tremendous market out there, and, and I think there's a lot of value in this data. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. That's the one I was going to make a little bit of, on the last slide. You sit there and you look at 2005 at 6, 6,230,000, and then you realize that as of about that time, we started going away from being motorcycle dealers that also carried ATV and UTVs to primarily UTV dealers that also carry motorcycles. And when those aren't registered in certain states, that goes into the number two. So as we escalate up to 9,500,000 registrations, not including the states that don't register these. So the industry is actually bigger than we're seeing on this trend line. It's definitely a good trend line. Derek, talk to us about that next slide here. Yeah, actually, can we skip ahead one slide real quick? Sure. Because I, I touched on this just a moment ago, and, and, and I had this slide in mind, so I did want to spend just a moment here. So if you see at the top there, uh, essentially this is new motorcycle sales, and it's listed by year. This is where you can really start digging into the data, right, and, and start to form, you know, hypothesis or at least start to see some trends. So if you, uh, first of all, what's really interesting, I think, about this chart is, is it not just units, but you can see the dollars. And and I apologize, it's a little bit hard, but on the far right side of the screen, you can see dollars, total dollars in billions year by year. So it, it kind of puts things into perspective. So 2023, $7 billion total. And then you can see the breakout on-road, off-road, uh, and then dual as well. But at the very bottom of the page, you'll see uh, a number, a percentage. Yeah, so 59% of the sales are on highway. Uh, 59% off-highway, 28%, and dual, 13%. Now, if you go back and look at the historical uh, versions of this, which I did, I pulled up some of the old reports. So just for example, in 2012, on-highway, which it says is 59% here, it was 85% in 2012. By 2018, it was 70%. 
Now it's, let's, let's call it 60%, 59. Conversely, if you look at off-highway, or I should say dual, in 2012, it was 3.2%. Now it's 13. So again, when you, when you, you, you we're looking at a snapshot in time, but what's really valuable is to go back and look at some of this historical data. Then you can start to see the trends that are happening. Yeah, that's super cool. I was also noticing the dual sport in dollars. As you look at that column, that second column from the right, look at the dollars as they escalate up and, and the trend of dual sport and adventure motorcycles that are inclusive, right? I mean, that's a, we're going to see that later in a couple of the reports coming down the line. I mean, to, to Jim's point earlier about, about growth in the industry and what would we have to do in the next 10 years, if you look back at 2013 uh, dual units, dual sport, there was uh, 35,000, now there's 86,000. So dual sport has tripled in the last 10 years. Growth in dual sport, off-highway units have doubled and dollars have, have nearly done the same. So 2.5x on dual sport and, and doubled on off-highway dollars. So if we can continue that trend in those areas and get on-road back up, which we're also seeing trends with small displacement and growth again in, in a complete new category, really, for the United States, the big category historically has been large displacement cruisers, and that's relatively flat or a slight decline. But what's growing right now is what the MIC calls traditional. And in traditional, uh, it's, it's more of a traditional style motorcycle. But you see a lot of new entrants in small displacement with high technology, relatively low price points, and amazing gateways into motorcycling for industry. So huge opportunity for growth with the traditional segment and small displacement street. Young new riders. My daughter just turned 15. She got her motorcycle safety foundation cert- certification, so now she can go ride with dad. Instead, in the sidecar, awesome. she's right next. Although mom doesn't really approve of that. Let's go back one. Uh, John, hit this one. I noticed you were looking at this screen a little bit ago. You know, I think my big takeaway on this screen, as an OEM, we get a lot of this data, and, and we can take a look at our market share and where we're at versus uh, you know the rest of industry. But I think what's most important, if you go to the... Kind of the the screen here. Yep. There's a category that says other. What I love about other is other makes up 25% of our industry. So there's there's big OEMs. There's eight companies that represent 75% of the total industry. But there's there's a whole another category called other, which is is our industry. So walk walk the halls here. Walk this entire uh, show. Like you said, that the it's excitement awesome. that's here. There's there's so many new brands. There's so many new companies. There's so many new entrants into our industry and, and the industry is growing. So uh, that's, that's my takeaway on this is the industry is growing and, and a lot of new companies are coming in to bring new products and new ideas and bring new entrants to motorcycling. So I, love I, it. I was asking you guys when we, before we jumped up on stage, hey, what do you guys think of Segway out here? And, and Derek's like, you want to Segway to another part of the presentation? I'm like, no, no, those things. Those things look really cool. What do you guys, we hear a lot of our dealers in our 20 clubs should we pick them up? Should we pick them up? These are conversations that come up all the time. Obviously, through, throughout, throughout COVID, we're picking up anything we can get our hands on, right? Because we need something to sell. But as the dust settles, which of those brands stay around? And then which of the new people? Uh, who are the new players? And John, that's a great point. A quarter of all the units sold are not the ones currently being tracked in the MIC. You got something on that one, Jim? Yeah, yeah. A couple of thoughts. I mean, the first one is on the slide that uh, Derek was talking about with the columns of data. You know, it does show the evolution of the industry that's occurring right before our eyes. And, you know, one of the components in that, and none of us know the answer to how it's going to turn out, but the electrification of the industry. Where is that going to go? What impact is it going to have? Well, 
For one thing, I can tell you that an electric bike doesn't have a clutch and you don't have to shift it. So for people coming into the sport, a lot easier to learn. And they're going to want a bigger, better, faster one at some point in time. They're going to want a quote unquote real motorcycle, whether it's gas or electric. So it reminds me of actually back in the early days of motorcycles, back in the 1900s, right? Right around the turn of the century when people were trying to figure out how to put a gas motor into a bicycle and ride around on it. And of course, now we have the motorcycle industry. Same thing's happening with electric bikes. Uh, so I'm excited by that entry point, the off-road piece as an entry point to John's point earlier, off-road and dual sport have doubled in size uh, since a little before COVID. But, you know, on the slide that you just had, Sam, with the summary, yeah, uh, the one before that, there yeah. you go. Uh, you know, another thing there that, that comes to mind is what does the rest of the industry look like, right? These are new motorcycle sales, but when you add in off-road, whether it's a side-by-side or ATV, et cetera, uh, you know, a non-motorcycle that's still a power sports vehicle, it's about double that, right? So you had another 600,000 plus vehicles a year. And then you had in the used market, how many of those are being sold every year? It's almost double again. So we're in the 2.5 to 2.7 million vehicle range a year in the United States for power sports vehicles being sold. That's about four times bigger than what you see here. That is the impact that we all have. We're all involved in that. And one of the things that's interesting to me, to the dealers in the room, is that less than a third of those vehicles go through a dealer's doors. What a tremendous opportunity for the industry and for dealers to provide a better consumer experience and to get more people riding more often. That's a, that's a generous number, too, that less than a third, implying that 33% go through the dealer network that's out there. Uh, we found that number to be closer to 80% not going through the dealer network, their driveway to driveway, and the opportunity that pre-owned allows. Not to mention the fact that if you don't have the segment of new that you want to chase down, can you replace it with some pre-owns that are in that segment or that model or that niche that you happen to have in your neighborhood? Yeah, good point, Sam. And as uh, you know, many people that are involved in every day will, will, will tell us is that many times used is the gateway to new. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the latest data, but a number that sticks in my head is for one of the major brands, 70% of the people that buy a new one of those brands owned a pre-owned one before. It's the gateway. You see how he snuck in the pre-owned from the NPA over here? See how he got that in there? And there's a spreadsheet available later, I'm Sam, sure for the carrying the one challenge you got. I'm sure. For the record, if you guys can't see the stuff on the screen, again, this book is available to you now in the back, right? So make sure you grab one of these on the way out the door. Y you did bring up the fact that, you know, motorcycles... We, we started by taking a little engine and putting into a, you know, Harley Davidson or the Ducati with the Cucciola engine in there, right? And like the, the history of how we came to be the motorcycle industry. And you are seeing that with the electric, electrification of the industry. I'm excited to talk to Pat Huss today from Felt Bicycles, who's here about how the bicycle, electric bicycle component is fitting into power sport dealers because it hasn't gone the way we thought it was going to go, but there's some real wins out there. So make sure to listen for that podcast when we get Pat on. I think later today we're doing that. John, did you have something on that? If not, Derek, I'm going to go to the next yeah. slide with you. All right, let's go. Uh, let's talk about here on the value of the industry. Okay. Yeah. Big number. So again, this is, as, as Jim pointed out correctly, this is only, we're only talking the motorcycle industry here. But if you look halfway down, you can see seven billion, seven billion with a B uh, in new motorcycle retail sales. However, at the top, what's kind of interesting, you can see the total value, including everything else that's listed there. New motorcycle sales is 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 only twenty three percent of that, mm. right? So 
it is an impressive number, but then again, it's it's only it's less than a quarter uh, of the total. So just picking up on that point to Jim and and use bikes, parts, service, accessories, apparel. Walking through the the floor yesterday when we got here, like the all of those areas are represented here in, in a major part of our industry. So for me, it's a pretty stunning number to number one, thirty one point one billion out of the total industry, but then twenty three percent, only twenty three percent is coming from new motorcycle sales, which is the largest revenue generator inside a dealership. So then think through all of the other products that are making up the rest of, of that 31 billion. And it's, it's an, it's an impressive industry, the amount of companies, the, the infrastructure that's required, the, the customers that are coming through the, the service, the customer service, everything that you talk about in, in garage composite 20, your 20 groups with, with the industry's dealers, on the value that they provide and the enjoyment that they bring to customers' lives through all of these products. Well, I'll tell you, as we're talking about this, it's just hit me. You're sitting here talking about the rest of the industry and the value that that brings into it. For years, we've said that the gateway drug to a Harley-Davidson is a Harley-Davidson t-shirt. People buy the t-shirt and then they get excited by the brand. Then they ultimately find their way into a Harley-Davidson out there. Um, But we think about I'm just going to say it for what it is, the disdain that some general managers at Harley stores have for the motor clothes department. It's just that department that's over there. And I'm like, do you understand what you're saying? Do you hear yourself? You know, and quite frankly, as we see more uh, consolidation and automotive organizations buying out power sports stores, automotives, they're known for inventory, right? Major unit inventory, turn the inventory. And we're seeing a lot less excitement levels from people in our 20 clubs for the parts department and for the service department, it's almost like they're necessary evils so that we can keep selling major units. And this number right here on the page is, is a clear indication that we can put a lot of time and attention into that to retain the customers. I mean, I may be on your showroom floor once to buy the major unit, but I'm in your parts department all the time and I'm in your service department all the time. And what are we doing to really make the customer experience worthwhile in those other departments? You know, go, go back to the first page, uh, over 9 million registered vehicles in use. Yeah. And- if there's vehicles in use, then they're, they need accessories, they need helmets, they need parts, they need service, they need to come into our dealers, and they're a major part of our industry. Sinski mentioned cold storage, vehicles in cold storage, so we can take a look at what that number is, but uh, the opposite side of that is what's in use. So take a look at what's happening right now with, with racing. Uh, Supercross this, this year has is, is kicked off and been amazing. Every single stadium, with the exception of Detroit, which is a 65,000-person stadium, has been sold out. And all of the local races are, are full. Uh, the National Enduro Series, they sold out within, I think, 10 minutes for the first race of the year. GNCC is coming up. Like, flat track is coming up. Like, it's, it's such an exciting time. And there's so many people that are riding motorcycles. And they need everything that our industry has to offer, yeah. especially on the parts, garments, accessory, and service side of the business. So I think that's the big takeaway on, on this slide is how important that piece of our business is. Let's bounce over to this slide right here. Derek, I see you're on that one. So I'll hit you and then Jim, I'll come back to you on this one. So you can see on the page, you know, roughly almost 11,000 retail outlets, about 116,000 employees and about 5 billion in payroll. But to the right of that, there's some more kind of granular data that you can look at. Uh, I find this really interesting as well. Uh, Again, going back and looking at some previous studies, I just grabbed 2014 study uh, just for example. Again, no big story here, but it just just one example of how to look at the data. Uh, new unit sales, used vehicle sales, parts and accessories, the percent of, the, of, of your business that it makes up in the aggregate. So 
just for example, grab one of those parts and accessories in 2014, that 17% was 21% mm. in 2014. Um, service and labor in 2014, it was 7%. Now it's 15%. So uh, again, it's just interesting to, to, to see how things have changed over time. Could be changing in a good way. It could be changing in a way to, you know, it sparks the light bulb in your head and say, hey, we, I think we may need to make a change here. But it's, uh, again, uh, interesting information. Jim, when do you have the bolt on to that? You know, when I look at a slide like this, I try to put it into context. So dealers are the front line to the consumer, right? They are where people have their experience. Uh, and then the after sale experience to, to keep them riding. But uh, Bob Altoff, who's in the audience here with us, made a really good point at a meeting earlier today. You know, you have those 116,000 employees and at home... They may have children, parents to take care of. The impact that we all have as dealers goes way beyond just the people that are working for you. It's their entire family. And the dealers are also who the OEMs and aftermarket and everybody else in the industry rely on their families. And the people that work there are all reliant upon us doing the best that we can do as dealers out there in the marketplace. So I think it's really important to you know, realize that the impact that we have, it goes way beyond the you know, the, 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 some of the numbers that we show here. Um, but, you know, one of the opportunities, and sorry for continuing to beat the no, That's drum. a great point. That's a great point. <laughs> you know, one of the things here, if you take a look at the revenue, it's not units, it's revenue for new vehicle sales and used vehicle sales uh, for franchised outlets, 52% mm. of the revenue is new, 12% is used or pre-owned. Different price points, et cetera. Let's call it a two-to-one price point difference. It's not really the, the case, but let's call it that. So that's about a, you know, in rough math, one unit used for every two new units sold at today's dealership. Okay. You probably have the exact number, but wait a second. On the earlier slides, we talked about for the industry as a whole, it's almost four to one out in the world in the U S for uh, on-road motorcycles. And it's uh, almost two to one for the power sports industry as a whole. Let's see two to one out in the U S use the new 0.5 to one in the dealership use. What a tremendous opportunity to continue to feed the machine. And again, create that opportunity for new people to come into the sport and buy more new motorcycles. You gotta carry, carry the, the one, one, Sam. Carry, carry I got the one. It. I got yeah. it. I just, uh, the spreadsheet is available there. Still pitching his product. I'm going to start pitching GarageCast while we're up here too. All right. The actual numbers, you're, you're, what did we say? 660 major units sold this year, whatever that slide was. 660,000 compared to what was it, 2019, 500,000 major units new sold. New was on trend to do. We were at 1.4 million pre-owned registered vehicles this calendar year through November on target to hit 1.5. So you figure 600K-ish new, 1.5 million pre-owned to your point, right? And that's just this year, not to mention the ones that are out there that have been in garages for year over year over year. So again, tremendous opportunity in the pre-owned space. I'd agree with that. Sam, I got a, a, another thought on this one. When I looked at this, this piece of data here, one of the things that came to mind was actually just the, the size and magnitude of our industry. Mm. And I'd like to take a second, introduce uh, Scott Schlegel. Scott, can you stand up? Wave, wave to everybody. Scott, Scott Schlegel, everyone. Big round of applause for Scott. Scott is our, our vice president of government relations out in Washington, D.C., and he has an amazing team out there for the motorcycle industry and the power sports industry that's, that's truly fighting for industry as well as promoting our industry 
out in Washington, D.C. And when I look at some of these numbers, you know, almost 11,000 retail outlets and 120,000 employees, 5 billion payroll, uh, 31 billion in total industry. Uh, that's the power of our collective industry and the membership at MIC uh, is is a major um, a major support for Scott in the work that his team are doing out in Washington D.C. And when we talk about some of these numbers out there with government regulators and what we need for our industry to to thrive and grow, yeah, um, it the membership is critical and the local Main Street dealerships and that local membership across the country makes a difference when we talk to those government officials about what we need uh, for. our our industry to continue to grow. So these are, these are big numbers and yep. the collective membership of the motorcycle industry council makes a difference out there in Washington, DC. So thank you, Scott, a uh, big round of applause for what you and your team do for, for helping our industry grow and, and yeah. uh, protecting. Well, Jim, you brought, you brought up Bob Altoff. I see him back there. Hi, Bob sitting next to Bob. Sorry. He has a bad seat. You chose for the record. The national power sport dealer association. You got to know in our last round of 20 clubs, we are hammering all of our dealers. Why aren't you involved? Like, shameless plug for that. Well, I think it's three ninety five for a member for a deal to be a member. What? what, what, what I bet you spent three hundred ninety five bucks last night on something you don't even remember. It's three hundred ninety five bucks for somebody to be watching your back in Washington D.C. So between the MIC and NPDA, why aren't we throwing money at these two organizations that protect all of our livelihoods for this amazing industry? So just. In, in addition to, to kind of what's being done by the MIC, and thank you for that sincerely, Bob, I, just your whole organization, NPDA, let's please get behind that. We are members. We were one of the first people to sign up. Uh, I just can't imagine not being a member or not with such a small fee to have somebody watching out for your back. Please go see these guys. They're up in the front. I got hot when I saw this slide. You guys got to know. I don't like this slide. This one bothers me because I sit here and I'm like, okay, franchise outlets. So 52% of new vehicle sales are coming from franchise outlets. And I'm just sitting here going, there are 10,690 retail outlets that sell some kind of motorcycle-related gear and all kinds of stuff like that. And half of them carry, you know, fly a Yamaha or a KTM or Suzuki or whatever, pick the flag, right? Half of them. And then you sit there and you're like, why do the others exist? And I know some of you don't want to hear that. Like, stop talking. I'm just kind of curious. If we did a great job in our retail brick and mortar franchise stores. There's no reason to go find aftermarket stores that are out there. And I'm all for the aftermarket store, but I just want you to think of the headroom for both sides, right? If there's this many locations out there, 10,690 retail locations, and half of them are actual franchise, there's opportunity for everybody in the, in the, in the space. But I think the part that really gets me is this parts counter invoice. $120. Like, if I came in for a GoPro and you didn't send me home with a chest strap and a memory card and an extra battery and an extra charger, like, how is it possible that the average ticket is $120? And I just ran the math coming off of our national averages. Just so you guys know, that number is $143 in the Harley space and $155 for our average dealer in the metric space, which, okay, better than $120, but really? we really can't come up with. I was just in the coffee shop this morning and I got a coffee and the lady said, which muffin would you like? Which muffin would you like? Okay, not would you like to add a muffin to your order? And I'm like, I must look like a muffin dude to her, which is all right. 
And then the lady behind me went up there and, the, and then she said, ma'am, could I interest you in a bottle of water to go with your juice? And I thought, why does she get water and I get a muffin? And then I asked the general manager, why are they asking me if I want something additional? And she says, we train on it every single morning here. We just pair like-minded items. If, she, if you're buying a juice, you probably want a water to go with that. If you're buying a coffee, you might want to sit down with a Danish or a muffin. I'm like, why can't we get that through to the parts department? I, I don't understand how that can be so difficult to get through the parts department. Because if I buy a new toy and I go in the parts department, do you know what I want? All of it. All of it. I want all of it. And invariably, I think that people go to the internet because of your store, not instead of your store. I believe that you just rang me up on the thing I asked for, and then I went out the door giving you $120, and I just see massive headroom inside of this slide right here. Tremendous opportunity. And I just, like, I just like to say that uh, Sam walked out with that coffee and a muffin, and it was $120. That was good, too. We're in Vegas. That's <laughs> good. Miranda, that was her name, in case you're wondering. Uh, let's drop down to this one. Jim, I see that you're on that one right now. What do you have on this slide? Rider profile. Yeah, there, there's, uh, you could probably spend a day talking just about this. But, you, you know, I think that the first thing is that this is just one of the examples of all the information that's available to you as an MIC member. This is in the statistical annual, obviously, this is what we're looking at, but this comes from other research that the organization does and shares with its members. You know, we've got demographic data, you know, who are the buyers and what are the profiles of them by product segment, uh, the ages, how many years they've ridden, how many are first time buyers. The next uh, slide that we'll be talking about has some information about off-road, which isn't on this particular one. But uh, my recollection is that the off-road study that we did during COVID uh, said that I believe it was a half, roughly half, if not a little bit more, of purchasers of new off-road vehicles were first-time buyers. Mm. That's amazing. So, you know, if you're planning your business and you're trying to think about or figure out, hey, you know, not only what do I need to make, how many of them, but who's going to buy it? Do I need to have financing lined up, uh, et cetera? It's, it's all here. It's all available to you. Love it. You know, as Jim said, this, this is one snapshot in which we mentioned that before, but the, the first 23 years of my career, I was in product development, product planning. So I lived and breathed data almost every day. And, and I look at data like this, and more often than not, I end up with more questions than I have answers when I see a data report, right? Because the report that you get is whatever the person that put the report together, what they wanted to give you, what they thought was important, right? So, so I always look at data and think, yeah, but... Yeah, but what else, right? So I see statistical stuff on the news and you, you wonder on the backside, okay, but what aren't we hearing about? You know, I, I think once, as just mentioned, you know, this is where you can really, really start to tell the story. And, and I look at data almost like a, a book with the words all jumbled up, right? And it's up to me as, you know, a, a senior manager or an owner or, you know, president, vice president of your, of your business, Anyone that's making strategical direction or decisions, you kind of need to look at data just like that. Like it's jumbled up words in a book and you need to put the words together in the story that helps you, right? So again, this page to me, this is, this is where the money's at because this is the customer. These are who's buying. Mm. But I really encourage, dig into this, ask questions. You know, we'll be around, you know, the rest of the day, if not tomorrow, Buckner's here as well. But uh, this... This page to me, that's, this is where it really kind of gets exciting because you can start to see 
trends happening and things changing. You already mentioned first time buyer. You can see the difference. It's super small on here, so I don't want to get too much into it. But just segment by segment, the the mean and median age, which, okay, yes, you know, adventure tour riders older than a uh, an off-road rider, but you can start to see similarities between the different segments. So that, I don't know, to me, maybe I'm getting geeking out on this a little too much, so <laughs> I'll shut up. No, I love it. It is like a puzzle, right? And you got to put it, you got to put it all together. Here's a bunch of data points. You throw the puzzle out and then you got to build this whole thing. John, talk to us about the adventure bike rider. Cause you had some interesting points on that. As I, as I was looking through this, uh, there's a couple of things that stand out. And actually um, I was chatting with Jimmy Lewis right before this. Jimmy's here and Jimmy's comment to me was, you know, I'm, I came to see what's going on in the industry and am I doing the right thing? And I think that's probably a fair statement for, for a lot of us. Are we doing the right thing? Are we focused on the right thing? Are we, are we focused on the segments that are growing? If, if there is a segment that isn't growing, to Derek's point, why? What do we have to do about it? Um, and as, we've, as we go through this, this report, you know, kind of go from a big macro level total industry down to each of the different segments and now we're into the riders and you can really start to understand segments that are growing and then understand why they're growing or if there is a segment that isn't what's happening there what do i have to do as a as a manufacturer what do i have to do as a aftermarket supplier as a dealer as a media outlet what's interesting to people uh what products are people buying so all of this information is is in here and a couple of things that that stood out to me uh sport across or you're on a venture there but scroll over to sport uh, this top line, that 40%, just to the left of that, that's first percentage of first-time buyers. So that's a major standout point. 40% of sport buyers are first-time buyers. So who's coming into the, the industry? Uh, we see it right now with a lot of small displacement sport. I talked about small displacement street in general mm. with traditional bikes, but we're seeing a resurgence in sport bikes again. If you go down just on sport there, you can see mean age. So average age is 36 years old. So it's a, a young buyer, but number of years riding is still 11 years. So still there's some, some people with experience that are buying sport bikes, probably larger displacement. Going over to, uh, I mentioned earlier, the traditional segment across the top there. Again, 37% of these traditional buyers are first-time buyers. So some of the bikes that are included in this segment uh the, the Groms, the Monkeys, Z125s, 390 Dukes, 401s, MTO3s, like this, this segment has exploded with product that's incredibly affordable, high technology, amazing to ride, low maintenance. So a, amazing gateway into our industry. Mm. When I look at customer base, if we go to Adventure and scroll down, it's hard to see. Uh, you'll have to go back and grab the, the annual and take a look at it. But if you uh, scroll down, there's a number 8.0 on Adventure. And that number right there that Sam just highlighted, that's altogether number of motorcycles owned. So Adventure customers own eight motorcycles. How many motorcycles do you own, Sam? Do you have an Adventure bike? <laughs> I do, yes. How many do you have? Currently in the garage, six <laughs> yeah. at any one time, but I rotate. Okay, six in it. So you're you're below average right now. So oh, we'll yeah. fix that while I'm Below in. average. That's, that's going to be hard to hear, several, but so. you're below average. But that's an incredible number. So, you know, just some of the takeaways on where we can focus as an industry, where customers are a little bit further down on adventure, uh, two spots down. There's a number 65% on adventure. You can highlight that one. Uh, so it's 8.0. Then two down is 65%. Yeah. 
That is the percentage of household income over $100,000. So adventure customers, they're a little bit older customer. They own a lot of motorcycles. They've got great household income. And 41% of these customers are buying motorcycles with cash. So again, just taking a, like a real deep dive into one segment, you can learn a lot about the rider, the profile of the rider, and then take a look at what you offer at your dealership or what you offer in your business. And, and are you connecting to these customers in a meaningful way? At the very bottom, other items purchased at the time of vehicle purchase, average dollar spent, Adventure is one of the highest at $1,241. So when an Adventure customer comes in and buys, they know what they want. They've owned a lot of motorcycles. They've got a lot of years of experience and they've got great household income and they want to put accessories on their motorcycle. So this is the type of data that that comes from this and and how we take a look at it. All right, guys, uh, just I'm looking at the clock. We probably have time for one more slide before we button this thing up. I think uh, this is probably the one that got us pretty excited here as far as off-road riding survey. We talked about how people are jumping into off-road. We're seeing a resurgence of off-road. But Jim, what jumped off of you here? Yeah, just a couple high-level points. Uh, The first one is uh, on the bar chart there. To the left, everything to the left of the 42% are people that ride a few times a month or more. That's 80% of the off-road riders ride several times a month. The chart below actually shows a trend over time. And uh, it's actually not over time, but you know what has happened over time, in their opinion. And the people are riding off-road more often now than they were five years ago. Is it the pandemic? Is it because of other factors? Don't know, but they're doing it. What a great opportunity. And then in the top right uh, there with the, with the bars uh, to the right, a couple of those jumped out to me. Land use and riding areas have both the biggest impact, positive and negative, on people's riding frequency. And then uh, below that, a little bit interest in riding and participating in off-road events, et cetera. The Motorcycle Industry Council is hard at work for you with the funding provided by its members on tackling things like the land use and riding areas. There's a lot of local activities as well that, that, that occur, but that's part of what your membership uh, goes to work for. As dealers, things like generating that interest in riding, participating and encouraging uh, participation events, et cetera, holding events. That's something that dealers do. We're all in this together. And you look at these uh, behaviors on the top right, and you can see the role that we all play in that. The 80% of off-road riders that are riding a few times a month or more love that statistic. Like I get, I get excited about that statistic. But this one here, I think it's, it's a great one to end this session on because what this shows is riding frequency compared to five years ago. And kind of that that darker maroon color, 50% of people have said their riding has increased every day. Every day, 50% of people are riding more. Like this is, uh, this is incredible to end on this kind of slide. Yeah. Go, go down the list. Thir- 31% say three to four times a week they're riding more. 34% three, one to two times a week and 20% a few times a month. So people are riding their motorcycles more. We saw the big question, what's going to happen after COVID? We saw more registrations. Revenue is up for the industry. Sales are up for the industry again. And people are riding more. And uh, I, I love this chart right here. There's uh, a big bright spot for our industry. Yeah, so if I, if I go back up to the top, this, this was the thing that fired me up about what Jim was talking about, some of the things like land use and stuff. But I'm just like, it has increased. Reason for change in riding frequency the work situation, 
And, and you can say, oh, well, they moved out to the country and they're riding more. No, because land use riding area went down. That's not what's happening. But their work situation is better, it's improved. The family situation is better, it's improved. Riding with friends and the community is better, it's improved. Interest in riding is better, it's improved. Guys, look at the trend here. Look at what's coming in 2024. I mentioned before, there are a lot of distractions on what's going on in the industry right now, right? Between the war and the inflation and the election and like blah, 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 blah. And what I know is when times are good, the sale of motorcycles, chocolate, and alcohol go up. And when times are bad, the sale of motorcycles, alcohol, and chocolate go up again. As you're looking forward to this year, look at the trends of what consumers are telling us. And let's capitalize on this. Jim, I wanted to give you the last comment because you, I think there's some things that you guys do with the Motorcycle Industry Council that maybe a lot of people have no idea that you're doing for them. So can you, can you comment on that? Either one, Derek or Jim, whatever you want. You know, one of the things that I learned about the Motorcycle Industry Council as I became involved is all the things that happen every day that you don't see. The majority of the things that the Motorcycle Industry Council does you, are, are things that we don't even think about necessarily. We see the benefit. First of all, the show, right? This is an MIC event. We are all here working together. We're here because we want to be. You know, I, I think it's awesome that uh, we've got that opportunity and the investment that the MIC made. And I will say props to the entire staff at MIC. You, you couldn't meet a more passionate group of people about the good of the industry and trying to help us all do better than the folks that are there. And I'd say the same thing for the board that, you know, kind of guides the strategic mission of what we're after. And the Motorcycle Industry Council under that roof, it's not just the MIC. We have some other organizations as well that are all doing the same thing with some of the same people uh, sharing responsibilities. The SVIA, SVIA ROVA. MSF, Motorcycle Safety Foundation, et cetera, all working together for the different parts of our industry, working together for you. Uh, but one of the things I wanted to touch on briefly was a little bit more about government relations and the good work that uh, Scott and his team do. Uh, Scott can speak uh, more to it. In fact, I think at noon today, I believe on the stage, uh, Scott's going to be going into more detail. But if it wasn't for MIC and the good work that these folks do with your dues, COVID, MIC is the number one reason why during COVID, motorcycling was deemed an essential business. That's why we all were able to stay open. It would have been a much different story if that wasn't the case. Thank you, Scott. That was huge. Another one. Yeah. And we see the numbers. It's, I mean, the impact on the industry was uh, turned out to be a, a tremendous benefit. The CARS Act, Scott can speak more to the details, but uh, some of the red tape type of legislation that was going through the federal government to make us all do a bunch of extra work driven by the car industry. If we would have gotten sucked up in that net, our lives would be even more difficult than they already are. Scott and his team were able to get motorcycling and the power sports industry excluded from that. Another huge win. In today's world, you know, we've got things going on, uh, and there's actually a chart on the MIC website uh, that shows some of the activity. But, you know, electrification, right to repair, PFAS, you know, all the plastic chemical things that are going on right now. There's a bunch of stuff on the radar screen that affect your business, whether you're a dealer or an aftermarket company, an OEM, that you needed support. And to Sam's point earlier, when you're thinking about, hey, where should I put my money? No matter what kind of business you are in the power sports industry, give it to MPDA. Give it to the Motorcycle Industry Council. Do your part, not only financially, but, you know, get engaged. You know, this is all of us working together for the betterment of what we're trying to do. And at the end of the day, the consumers that come through your door, 
will thank you for giving them the opportunity and the products they need to ride. That's awesome. Well said. Okay, gang, it's quarter till. Um, We're going to be hanging out here. The next session starts at the top of the hour right now, so we got to call it quits. I wanted to thank you guys for coming here. Thank you to the MIC and AIM for hosting this thing. For Jim, for Derek, for John Hines, appreciate you guys being on the panel review and enjoy your session over the next few days. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.